that our responses to God determine what we release into our family lines. So the what our actions, our responses, our following after the Lord or not following after the Lord in areas of our life open the doors for either his blessings or for the things that we really don't want to happen in our family. We want to have a godly heritage. We want to line up our families for the glory of the Lord and to have his blessing come down. I'm sure you've heard this, you know, they, parents always say, I want my kids to be better off than I was. And, uh, you know, it seems like parents want the blessings to flow down to their children. Well, they're spiritual blessings that can be poured out upon our families. And, and if you haven't had an opportunity to, to hear this sermon, uh, releasing a heritage for future generations, then you can uh, get that. Just go to newlifegf.org, and then there's a sermons tab at the top, and all the sermons that we're able to record, sometimes they all don't get recorded, but they're there and they're available. But one of the things that I heard when we were in Pensacola is that we're living in the most fatherless generation in history apart from war. You know, like when we had World War I and we had like 500,000 casualties and all these kind of things, then it makes sense that there's no fathers because of the massive, massive amount of war. But now there's, there's so many fatherless children that it's just, it's an it's a epidemic and it really does make an impact upon our culture and upon the way that, uh, that people um, live and really respond because God created. See, now here's the thing. God's, God's the creator of the family. He's the one who has a plan. He's the one who set out what, what the family is supposed to do and supposed to be. So he's, he's got this idea of what it is and what he wants to actually have take place within the family. And he lays those things out in scripture for us so that we can actually begin to see them. And so, uh, what I want to talk today about is, you probably saw the title already, Fighting for Our Families. And uh, there's, there is a portion of our life that, that you know, we watch and we care for our kids and we feed them and we clothe them and we do all these things, but there's spiritual things that we can do to protect them and guard them and keep them. And so I want to look at some of these things today and uh, talking about fighting for our families. So here's God's plan. It doesn't always happen this way, but remember, God has a plan. So I want to talk about this because his, God's plan is perfect and, and really works when we work God's plan. You know what I'm saying? How he's designed things to be. And um, I have some friends that are, I, I would call them, uh, I don't even know the term, but they, they see things like so high and exalted that it's almost really impossible to take place you know for example i these guys yeah when when god comes in in the end time revival we're going to just walk through hospitals and everybody's going to get out of the beds and we're going to just do this and do this and do this and it's going to be great we're going to walk and people are just going to you know all this stuff and and it's always in the future and it's always later but it's always degrades what we have here and some of them, you know, I just, I, I hear it, I've, some I've known for years, 20, 30 years, and they still have the same story. 
And so I'm, I'm just saying, you know, like sometimes we can make God's concept so absolutely perfect in our minds that if anything falls one ounce short of what it is, we get disappointed and we get disillusioned. And God has a perfect plan, I think, for the family, but because we're human beings, because we struggle with issues in our lives, we have to fight to get into what God really plans because there's a world that's against it. There's a whole world, the philosophy of the world. You know, I was reading an article the other day. I just, I, I couldn't believe it, but this was talking about a politician that, that here's the statement that was made. They were in, in a position to watch over children and do these things. And this, this politician said, parents don't know how to raise their children. We need to pull them out of the home and raise them in community because parents don't have a clue. And that's why everything's so bad and things aren't working. And I'm going like, what? The home and a stable home is what God really desires. And that builds and it, and it brings life and it brings the foundation for people to walk in a continued blessing of the Lord. And so I thought that was pretty interesting. So God's plan for the family then is simply this. One man and one woman joined by covenant for life. And that's the plan. And so do you remember how the Pharisees came to Jesus? They were always trying to get him. So here's one of their ploys because they wanted to talk about divorce. And uh, <clears throat> so this is in uh, Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 5. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? They just make it super easy. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now God has this idea of marriage being one man, one woman, joined together for life. Now we know obviously from our culture, we know from situations, and we even know from the passages that are after this, is, uh, is that stuff happens and, and because people decide to leave or people decide to make choices or are, are things like that that separate marriages. But God's plan is, is for that unity, for the couple to be together and for them to be joined together in a covenant forever. And, uh, and because of divorce, divorce is not the unforgivable sin, you know, because that's what some, some uh, churches, you know, if you get divorced, you can't do ministry, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, you know, the circumstances really matter on who did what and what took place. And even within that, that doesn't, uh, in my mind, disqualify you because if we had, I was just thinking, if we had the qualifications for pastor, Paul wouldn't make it. You know, he's just a blooming murderer and, uh, you know, and did all the, these things. And, and, you know, we could just go on and on. When Jesus Christ comes and changes your life that's that makes things different and so so 
God wants this husband and this wife to be together for life, to have a covenant commitment to one another. And then within that, children are a gift from God. In our culture, in much of our culture, not all of it, obviously, but in much of our culture, kids are a burden. Kids are just something, well, I'll choose to have one or not. And we know how that is because they've had millions upon millions of babies aborted. And so we make child, you know, having a child just an issue of convenience. Well, I just don't, don't, didn't want to have this baby, and so I'm going to abort this child. And so, but God says something totally, absolutely different. He says, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. That's in Psalm 127, verse 3. He says, the fruit of the womb is a reward. That's a different outview. And of course, those who, who truly believe in Christ know that this is, this is a gift and this is something that's good. And it's, this is the interesting part. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And you're going like, what's that talking about? Quivers and... All this stuff, it's just saying a whole bunch, got a whole bunch of kids. And But what happens is that when you get old, your kids are to watch over you. In this culture, they, they would generally live together. You know, like we have, uh, we have friends in India and stuff, and so they keep, they, they keep their, the grandparents, if you want to say, or their parents in there. And in the same area, the same house, they have kids and grandkids and everyone it's kind of like the waltons you know remember that old-fashioned thing grandpa and grandma living in with the family and doing business and so so this is the kind of culture but so when the when the parents were old then the children would be their protectors when it's talking about enemies at the gate many times they would have meetings at the gate of the city to figure out what was going to take place and these sons and children would represent the the parents and protect them and to keep them because it says children of their youth when they were young they had them but now they grew up and but their blessings children are a gift and they're a reward and it's so absolutely fantastic that uh that's god's plan to see every child is special unique and a blessing and a gift and then parents are to provide an atmosphere of love in the home what happens, Suzette? Oh, well, then that's the way it should have did it when you clicked on the first slide. should have started. All right, well, that's, that's, what do you do? Technology is fun. You got to quit doing that. Oh, no, she goes, and then I'm going like, what, what, what's happening back there? You're getting electrocuted or, uh, you know, like what, what? what she's so dramatic instead of oh rats it's not recording <laughs> woo, woo, woo. yeah it keeps keeps life exciting <laughs> well you know yeah Suzette she tells me she goes I came to bring color into your life and said well that's probably sure because I'm just like boring and uh and colorless I guess huh without Suzette so parents are to provide an atmosphere of love in the home 
And here's what it says. It says, th this is uh, the most interesting thing. It says, husbands, love your wives, which makes sense because we should. But, well, you know, it really does. But why does he have to tell us? Because sometimes we don't. It's just plain and simple. It says, just as Christ also loved the church, Jesus absolutely gave himself for us. He gave himself wholly and completely. And so this is the, he, he's, he's not just saying love your wife as what the world says love is. Love your wife as Jesus Christ has loved the church. That's powerful. That's something that's deep and something that is, is impossible without God's help in, in our hearts because we have to allow the grace of God and the power of God to flow through our lives to truly truly love as Christ has loved. So he says, because he loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of word, and that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot, no wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we're members of his body. It says, For this reason a man shall leave father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That's pretty powerful stuff. So husbands, we're to love, and wives, we're, you're to respect and honor. I was listening to uh, a teaching on this that, well, there's actually... Uh, marriage series that we've done before called Love and Respect <laughs> takes this verse and it talks about how different men are from women and how most of the time men don't have to worry about their wives loving them. But there is a difference in the respect area because men want to be respected. Men want to be honored for who they are. And when they're not respected, that grates against everything that's there. Women do want to be loved and cherished and and uh, nurtured and all those things, and and we're we're to do that as husbands and those things. So this this is an atmosphere that's supposed to be in our home, an uh, atmosphere of love and an atmosphere of commitment to one another. And that doesn't mean you don't have disagreements and arguments and do things. I mean, you know. I've said it before, <laughs> Suzette and I, when we first got married, I joked about us putting steel plates in our foreheads because we were like those rams that butt heads. Wah! Full speed. <laughs> and we need to have some protection. So that's the way that we started our life because we were so wounded and broken. That's all we did. We argued and argued and argued and argued and we loved each other, but we argued and argued and argued because my little things, her little things, and then there you go. But we, we've learned to, to get past that, you know. Before, we used to fight for hours, and now it's just like, 
and then we're done. Okay, I feel better now. Boop, we're done. And, and then we just go on. We, we don't drag it out. We don't have, you know, slamming doors. We don't have back-to-back -back at night. You know how you see the pictures in those articles about, you know, husbands and wives, and they're just, you know, they're laying there because they're, I'm in the same bed, but don't look at me or talk to me, and having those things. But God wants us to have an atmosphere because when that atmosphere is there, it affects every single person. It affects our children. It affects what takes place. And so really that becomes an important thing. And then parents are supposed to protect their children. They're supposed to protect and guard them and keep them and do the best that they possibly can to watch over them. You know, our kids have their own minds. I guarantee you that. And when they make choices that go against our will, it's like when we make choices that go against the will of God, it brings destruction, it brings separation, it brings damage. And so that becomes important for us too. But to protect our kids, to watch over them, you know, depending on what's going on in your home, you know, the parents can open the doors wide open. You know, my dad opened many, many doors in our family with the things that took place. And uh, since I have little runs in here, I'm not going to tell you what some of those are, but some of you know them already. But open the doors of things that weren't healthy and really uh, invited the presence of the enemy into our whole family and down our family line. So we're to protect and we're to nurture and we're do the you know to do the best we can in the Lord to keep our kids safe, but again they have choices. So we're to nurture and care for our kids, right? That makes a whole lot of sense to nurture and care for them, to really to see them excel into what God has for them. You know, one of the best things if you haven't done this before, if you have children, um, is for you to um, ask the Lord, what, what is this kid, this kid you've given me? What's their call? What's their purpose? What giftedness have you placed within him? What, what, what should we be nurturing? What should we be bringing out? Because, you know, um, every kid's different. Every kid's unique. And so we need to really bless uh, what's going on in their lives and, and really raise them according to who they are in Christ. And then, of course, parents need to meet the physical needs of their children. It makes sense. And God says that if, if you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever, which is really kind of crazy. Not if you have a struggle and things like that, but he's talking overall. If we don't care for our families and deal with them, he says we're worse than an unbeliever. And then parents are to raise up their families to know the Lord and to love him and to follow him and to nurture. Isn't that something? I think it's great. This is the classic scripture that always goes, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. So it's saying train and nurture. And if you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know, they have, they have this statement that they, they make called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Thou shalt uh, praise the Lord with all your heart, your, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. 
And so this is what is, is said. And then it talks about training our kids. See, we're to love God with all of our heart, but we're to train our kids to love God. We're to train them in the things. It says, here's what it says in Deuteronomy 6, 7. It says, you shall teach them, your children, diligently to your sons, and you shall talk to them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. It's kind of saying, as you're going through life, just share with them. And you know, it's so interesting, too, is that when you start sharing things with the Lord, you know, that sometimes they'll ask questions. Like I had a little kid that was in here this morning with his dad, and we were talking, the pastor from the other church, and He's, he's just going to turn six next Sunday. And so he kept asking me all these questions about God and about the devil. And, and you know, can the devil do this? Can, can this happen? And, and he's just asking me all these questions. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Because he's trying to suck up knowledge, I guess. He's wanting to know things and to train them and to raise them up and to, to nurture them to actually follow the ways of the lord and then the last one is parents are are to lovingly disciple their children so with this talks about it in hebrews chapter 12 verses 9 through 11 it says furthermore we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them shall we not much rather be subjected to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for his good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now I don't know about you, but discipline... <laughs> Discipline is not fun for either the parent or the kid. <laughs> I never like, oh boy, this is fun. I think I love doing this stuff. I'd prefer not to do it, but I wanted to have a child that would be decent and raised up in the Lord. And, you know, we had, uh, you know, most of you guys know the story, but, you know, we had troubles with Josh and we had some pretty head-on collisions because he was going in a way that wasn't wasn't the way of the lord and we we did everything that we knew but he still could make choices you know you can't lock your kid in the room and never let him out they always have an opportunity to make a choice but as parents we have to make choices that stand with righteousness and the truth and seek to make to discipline our children in the ways of the Lord to walk in his ways and to do what God wants. And that's just a process that takes place and is something that, uh, that needs to happen and those kind of things. And then it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so we're to discipline them. And discipline's always is, discipline isn't a beating. That's not really discipline. Discipline is training. It's training them to walk in the way of the Lord. This is not a right way to act. This is not a right way to respond. And uh, 
we need to walk in a different way. So discipline is always taking place. It's, it's a constant thing sometimes. So now here's what I want to ask, and this is a question, is how's the atmosphere in your home? How is the atmosphere in your home? And I'm not saying this to condemn you in any way, uh, but if we don't look at what's taking place in our families, then we don't even have an opportunity to fix them, you know, to fix them in, in the ways of the Lord. And um, so just take an assessment and come up with a godly solution. But I believe that there are two invisible enemies that are at work to destroy every single family on the earth. And many times we're fighting, losing battles because we're fighting the wrong enemy. So here's, here's some signs that you might need to stand up and fight for your family. If you have strife, like when Suzette and I were doing the headbutt thing, that, that was strife. And so for one period of our life, we never went to church together. <laughs> because, well, we don't now, but I come here real early, and she comes at 9 or something, 8.30. And I just get here early, so, so we don't drive together. But this was when we were constantly, every Sunday morning, every single solitary Sunday morning, we would get in a fight. I'm serious. Get up, and then you got to come to church. And then your spirit's just totally, absolutely stirred up. You're not focused on the Lord. You're not in his presence. And so we had this in our home. And so it, why I do not know why it takes so long for you to go, duh, enemy. And then you do it. And then you say, I bind this stuff. We're not doing this in Jesus' name. And then we agree together and we begin to walk this out. And we begin to fight against the true enemy. Because, the, you know, it was just getting stirred up. It was so ridiculous that it was almost comical. Every Sunday morning, fight. Every Sunday morning, argue. Every Sunday morning, <clears throat> no. And so we have to fight the true enemy, who is the worker of strife, the enemy of our souls. And so once we dis discern this, we were able to deal with it. There's constant chaos. If, you, if your house is just filled with chaos, that's, a, that's a sign you need to do some warfare and do some fighting with the true enemy. If there's constant sickness in, in, in your home, constant disease, there's constant frustration. Every time you try to move ahead, it seems like you run into roadblocks. You smash into a brick wall or an invisible barrier that can't be seen and it seems like you're pushing and pushing and pushing but nothing ever changes there's this frustration level and that is another thing for us to find out maybe what the lord is doing constant financial difficulties i'm not talking about every once in a while stuff happens it's just a continuing do you hear the constant 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 this is what we're talking about it's a pattern it's not just something that takes place every once in a while because we all have stuff break down we all have things happen 
but this is a, what I'm talking about is a constant financial difficulty or cut off relationships where there's been relationships in the family or your extended family where people refuse to talk with each other, refuse to forgive one another, refuse to reconcile and bring the family together. When you have these kind of things, this is another area where I think that we need to uh, stand up and begin to resist the enemy in our lives. And then there's the other one of constant pressures. There's just, it seems like you're living under a pressure thing. That's kind of called oppression, where you're just pressed down, where you're crunched down and you feel it, but you don't, you can't even recognize it, that, that it's from the enemy, because so often what happens in our culture, we're not aware of the enemy as much as we should be. And so these things are signs that you need to do it. So what are these two invisible enemies? The two invisible enemies are the flesh and the devil, okay? They're, they're invisible enemies. You can't see them. You can't put your finger on them. You can't grab them. You can't do anything to them uh, physically, but they're there. So our flesh. So what is the flesh? Well, obviously the flesh means like, just the, the skin and the meat, muscles and stuff, that's called flesh. The whole body is called flesh. Man is made of flesh. And then the, the one that we want to look at is the part of our lives that are not submitted to the lordship of Jesus. There's this, there's this thing within us that wants to rebel against the things of God and to stand against his truths and to just rise up. And here's what it says in Galatians 5.17. For the flesh, this part of us that's not submitted to Jesus within us, sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you might not do the things that you please. So there's a possibility that there's an inner battle that's going on within us that causes us to respond to people in a way that's not good or positive. And so that really becomes important for us to understand that it could be the flesh. Some people say, oh, the devil's doing everything, but sometimes it's us, and we have to understand that when we operate in our flesh, it does not bring forth the things of God. It does not bring forth the life of God. And here's, here's one thing I, want, I really want to say is that a lot of times we want to fight the flesh, you know, like in our own strength and our own ability. Oh, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to push this thing down. And that's not what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible tells us to crucify our flesh. And so here's, here's what it says in Galatians 5.24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so when these things rise up, no, in the name of Jesus, I crucify this. I'm alive in God. And we begin to make choices that go up opposed to those passions and those desires. And so that we begin to do that. And so here's Paul's solution is in Galatians 5.16. He says, now, uh, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. So the way to deal with our flesh is not to try harder not to do it, but to trust in the Holy Spirit and let him empower us. I've said it a million times figuratively, but I've said it so often, you cannot live the Christian life in your own strength. 
That's why God sent the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with His Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit. And how do you do that? You yield and surrender to the Spirit of God who lives in you. You have the Spirit of God in you. If you know Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God living and dwelling in you. And you have a power in you that's greater than anything you have. And you have one that's come alongside to be your comforter, to be your helper, and to give you strength. God gave you the Holy Spirit. And so in some ways, for us to deal with the flesh, we have to stop. Stop blaming. It's the blame game. We have to stop blaming the other person for what's going on in us. Somebody does something, boom, and the anger shows up. It's just showing what's inside. And so we need to, to, to take responsibility for our own responses. We need to take responsibility and, uh, for what we, we can do and repent and, and be changed and be healed and bring those things to the Lord. So anytime we have things that, that are operating in the flesh, I really think it's good to stop and ask the Lord, what's the root of this? Why am I responding the way I'm responding? When so-and-so does this, I do this. What is it? Because a lot of times, it's just, bam, you respond. Because that's the way you've always done it. And so to stop and say, God, why am I responding out of this? So I know, and I mentioned this already, Suzette and I had a lot of stuff from our own families. We brought all of our baggage in, all of our wounds and all of our pains, and now we're trying to, to learn to live together. And sometimes, sometimes I would do something and uh, Suzette would respond and I'd go, what in the world? Why are you responding that way? That's what I'm thinking. Like, what are you doing? Sometimes she'd do it and I'd just <laughs> blow up or do whatever. It's because that's the way life was for me. I was an explosive person because of the, the, the home I lived in. And so then guess what? The Lord began to show and began to heal and things began to change. And things are, you know, I don't even know if I'd even want to go back there and even feel any of that stuff again because the Lord heals. But we have to come to him and we have to ask him because we, he knows what it is and he will heal every portion of our heart and our life that will open up to him and give to him because he's the healer of the brokenhearted. When it says brokenhearted, it means broken, shattered. God is the healer. He's the restorer. And so he can do it and he will do it. So, But we have to, to walk in the Spirit and we have to learn and find out what these things are so we can get healed up. And then when we're healed, we won't respond the same way. It's kind of like, like this. Let's say I have a cut in my arm. And you know how it is when you first have this thing, it's so painful, you can't even hardly move your arm, and anyone just bumps you, and you feel it throughout your body. And so what do you do? You guard and protect. And if anyone gets close to you, you might knock them over. Get out of here, you know? You're going to hurt my arm. And that's what we do with the wounds and the pains, is that we go, you know, we just protect ourselves, and, and, and we don't want to be hurt anymore. And so we need to be healed so that, we don't respond out of that pain anymore. And God wants to do that. But one thing is, 
I just want to highlight this again, is don't fight with your flesh, crucify it. Don't try in your own strength to do something because you'll always fail. Remember the Holy Spirit lives in you. He wants to empower you to walk in his ways. And when you cry out to the Lord, he can begin to help. That's why always come up with a solution. When you find something that you're doing, try to come up with a solution so you don't do it again. I know it's, it's a habit. It's something that's in our lives. But the more we address that and go after it, the more we are able to get rid of it. All right, so that's the first enemy. But the second one, and this is a huge one too, is the demonic realm. And we have to understand this. It's so, if you read the, if you read the Old Testament, you'll get a glimpse uh, of the demonic realm. But if you read the New Testament, one, one third of Jesus' ministry was casting out demons and healing the sick. That's what he did. He, everywhere he went, he cast out demons. Demons are real. They're alive. Jesus, now I think, I've heard this and read this so many different times, you know, psychologists today want to come up with some physiological reason that people have demonic things going on in their life. Now, some things are physiological, I understand that, but when there's demonic powers at loose in your life and you're trying to deal with them from a physical perspective you'll never be able to change them you'll never be able to deal with the issue i just think of 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 like one of the persons that was in in the new testament that jesus dealt with remember that woman that was bent over for 18 years it says he she was bound by satan and so now she's walking like this. So she's hanging over and she's just walking. She's bent over. And you know, it's, it's, that's got to be the most crazy thing. So for 18 years, she's constantly this way. Jesus didn't just come and heal her. He rebuked the demon because the sickness was caused by a demon. Her condition was caused by a demonic force. You could go to the doctor 100 years and never be healed. Because they cannot deal with the spiritual aspects. And so as, as Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus comes and he, he sees this. He recognizes that it's demonic. And so he casts the spirit out and she is made whole. She could stand up. She wasn't bowed over any longer. And so some things are caused by physical things. We have to understand that. But many sicknesses and conditions are caused by demonic forces and that's why we have to know because you i'm telling you you can go to the doctor over and over but can't deal with the demonic can't so we have to deal with the demonic and here's what i want us to get this this is so clear from paul in ephesians six twelve, he says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now they talk about four different levels or realms of the demonic influence that's coming upon our lives and that we can see that are coming and taking place. And, and they're ones that are working in with individuals just like 
the, the scripture talks about angels, and angels are working on our behalf. They're ministering servants. We even have angels watching over each one of us, all those kind of things. And, but there's a demonic realm also, and we have to realize this. So the first thing is to recognize your enemy. So if you're clashing all the time, if things are constantly taking place, if chaos is there, this is not normal. This is not natural. It's something of a supernatural thing that needs to be dealt with and find out what's going on in the place. So we need to learn to stand up, first of all, to recognize the enemy, but then to stand up to the enemy. There's, there's many places. This In Ephesians 6, it says, it says that you stand and you fight, and when you've done all, stand. In other words, this is a military term talking about fighting and being on the aggression level. You're not just sitting back. Now you're pressing forth. And one of the things that I talk about, there's this great word called uh, repulse. And that means, the word repulse means to stop an enemy from attacking you. So they're coming in the midst of an attack, and if you repulse them, you push them off. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee. There's, the, there's a, a passage that Peter talks about that Satan's like a roaring lion. He's wandering to and fro, seeking whom he can devour. But it says, you stand up and resist him firm in your faith. To resist the devil, James says, he'll flee. And so there's this putting a pressure on the enemy because Jesus has given us authority over all the work of the enemy. It says that in, in Luke chapter 17. He's given, us, he's given us authority over all the work of the enemy. So when we can begin to see it, then we can begin to stand up against it and we can begin to resist it and we can begin to fight. And then in this passage in um, uh, Ephesians 6, Paul tells us, put on the full armor of God. Now, the armor of God isn't the pieces that he talks about. He's just talking about these pieces because if you look in some other places, Different things are called like a breastplate and those things. He's just doing a word picture because they would see Roman soldiers all the time because they were under captivity. They were under, under Rome. And so they would see these soldiers all the time and they would understand these different parts. And so he's saying it so they can connect this to the armor. And, and you know, some, some folks say, well, I put the armor on every day. I just, I say it, I put on my breastplate of righteousness and we can do that, but the whole concept behind this is that we actually live out of these every single solitary day of our lives and that we live out of these things. What is the armor of God? It's the truth against the lies of the enemy. It's God's truth and it's righteousness. And righteousness, a simple way of saying righteousness instead of some big theological term is right living is living according to what God says, making our choices and decisions that are based on his word, that, we, that they're all fulfilled and completed. Everything God desires from us is completed in love God and love people. 
Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all of your strength. And the second is this, that you love your neighbor as yourself and you bring blessing and, and things to, to the people and you look for their good rather than their, their own. So there's truth and there's righteousness. And then there's the gospel, your feet, you know, with the preparation of the gospel, feet shod. So what that's talking about is, is the word of God, the gospel, the full, complete picture of Jesus Christ uh, conquering the grave and conquering death and, and bringing forgiveness and deliverance and fullness, that this is what, our, what we fight with because we know that Jesus Christ has overcome. He's overcome everything of the enemy and everything that, that took place. He said he nailed all of our sins to the cross, everything that was against us. He nailed it to the cross and he's forgiven us and he's cleansed us and we're his sons and daughters and we get to walk in his ways then there's faith. Faith is just simple trust in God. It's believing who God is. It's believing and following him. Faith is always a response to God. Faith is always a response to his word. When he speaks to us, we listen and say yes and do it. That's what faith truly is when we get down to it. And then salvation, that salvation comes in no other name. There's no other way that we can be saved and to recognize that he's our savior and to cling to him and to cling to his power. And then there's the word of God, which is filled with all of his precious promises for us. It's full of life and full of abundance and full of truth for us. So how do we do this then? How, if we recognize that something is happening in our own personal lives, or in our family group, or in our extended family, or even in the lives of others that we love, what can we begin to do to do this? How can we stand and cause the enemy to go? Well, first is, is if we do recognize it, and if we're willing to take that stand, then we can begin to speak to the spirits that are behind that. Almost every spirit, it seems, are named by what they do. Makes sense. Spirit of fear? Guess what a spirit of fear does? Makes fearful. Spirit of hatred. Spirit of rejection. All these things. It seems, I, I don't understand, but I guess just like there are areas of giftedness that God gives each one of us that are so unique that each of these demonic spirits have have taken the very things that maybe maybe when they were in in their angelic form and perverted them to the very opposite to seek to bring fear instead of peace and seek to bring uh, rejection instead of acceptance and love and those kind of things and so then these things we can just begin to speak to them and if you don't know what to say just say this the spirit that's causing this strife and division, I just stand against you. We stand against you in the name of Jesus Christ. We just command you to leave our family. We resist you and we reject you and to do it every single time until you see the breakthrough that you need because when you resist the enemy, doesn't mean that he's going to stop. 
Sometimes when you start doing this stuff, sometimes when you start standing up, things get worse. And do you want to know why? Because the enemy wants to see if you're going to actually stand in your authority. He's going to see if you're going to just look him in the eye and force him to go away. If you're going to stand up and say, no, in the name of Jesus Christ, you must go and you must leave out of my life. And so there's this resisting, and so we can expect that, but then we can expect the enemy to, to continue to try. There's uh, my favorite way of thinking of how the enemy comes to us is like a fisherman. He knows kind of who we are. So let's say we let's say we're we're. Uh, fishermen then we know that certain fish like certain things and so and then we even know that sometimes certain seasons might be night crawlers might be minnows might be um, leeches might be you know all these different things that you can have as bait might be you know just some of the regular ones what kind of spinner what color because sometimes you can be fishing right next to another person and poof one of them's hitting, and then they put that same color on, and they start getting fish. But they're not biting on the other color. Figure that out. But so Satan basically knows and understands the makeup of men, and especially when they, when they know, because we have, we have spirits that have been around us from childhood, and uh, even before we were born, they were probably in our family. They call them familiar spirits. And so then then they know the things that tempt us. They know the things that we've struggled with in the past. And so all he has to do is go like this, put the temptation, cast it right out in front of you, reel it in and see if you bite. You know, Satan's not like a mind reader. He cannot read your mind. He can read your responses and your actions just like we can. I can't read any of your minds. If I did, you would want to maybe not have me as your pastor because I'd be doing some demonic junk. But uh, they can't read your mind either. They just know how to... I think a lot of that is the spirits that are connected with you speak to the spirit that's connected with them and gives them information it's real easy you know if i just followed you around for a few weeks i could say some things and then uh you know i could whisper it in somebody's ear and guess what wow you know me yeah and so so anyway i think that's what takes place and then he sees if we're going to bite when we bite that's when he's got us hooked that's when death starts happening in our lives and so the only way to do that is to stand up and to begin to resist the enemy begin to push him back begin to put him on the offensive begin to put on the defensive i mean push him and push him until he leaves and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's a little more difficult where you might have to fight for a little while but stand because jesus will give you his his salvation and his life and he'll pour out his grace upon you so so begin to if you see these things begin to fight for your family and if you see these things and you want to talk about it and lay out a plan i i've been thinking more recently 
and I'm trying to figure out how to do this because it's not like, it's probably simple, but you got to think through it. I was thinking that one of the things that would be very good is to systematically go through your life and write down all the things that you're aware of systematically look at your family what's going on in my family lines what things have taken place there write all these things down then go through your own life what traumas did i have what traumatic events did i have you know and go through your life and mark down every single one that you that the lord helps you think of mark those things down and then systematically go through those things and ask the lord is there anything residue here because areas of trauma can impact us for life. You know, they have people that, um, oh, this, this is really sad to think about. But, you know, I, I was watching, uh, I think Suzette was watching it with me, but we were watching this documentary on, on soldiers, and they were in World War II. Uh, and one of the last things it said, you know, they talked about all the horrific things and, you know, their storming beaches and their friends just getting killed and all this trauma that's going on around them and the trauma of even having to take another person's life and all the things that were going on. And the last thing that it says is that many of these people never truly recovered because the trauma was so great in their hearts. But God can heal trauma. God can break that hold of trauma in our lives to where they could, you know, 40, 50, 50, 55 years later, they would just sit and think about the situation and it would bring the emotions and the pain into their hearts and you could see them crying and, and dealing with the issues in their hearts because it was such an impact. But to go through and begin to identify these things in our lives so that we can say, Lord, I want this area healed in my life. I want this broken off of me so that it doesn't affect me any longer. And I'm telling you that that can happen and you can just begin to break the, the hold of that trauma and you can begin to get healing for that trauma so that the emotions are healed your mind's healed. You can think about the situation, but it doesn't affect you negatively anymore. It doesn't bring up all these negative raw emotions, but you can go through and you can go through with every single one, even if they're, they're seemingly smaller things. Have you ever noticed that, like if you're an adult and a kid thinks, you know, he's a little kid and they think it's, this is the biggest thing in the whole world, it's the scariest, rottenest, terrible thing, and you're going, Pfft. What? But they're kids. They don't have the same knowledge you have right now. They're, they're impacted. Kids can be impacted by uh, fear with, from watching a movie where they, they get scared, and it scared them so bad that it impacted them, and a spirit of fear could come into their lives. And so we just never know. And so to go through and to figure these things out and then to systematically go through and attack them and, and, and go uh, with the help of the Lord for healing and deliverance and freedom in your heart so that you can actually be free from the things that are, are happening. So I just want to encourage you with that. And, and if you need help with that, we're, we're willing to help you because um, we love it.
seeing people get free because uh, we know how it is. I'm surprised how much God's done in my heart and life. Just amazing, amazing, wonderful things. And um, my dear, sweet wife, too. Way better. Woo! <laughs> so that didn't answer all your questions. Obviously. But what I'm trying to do in this is to make us think and to start moving towards finding a solution. If, if these things are within our lives or within our household to begin to attack the true enemy because what happens when stuff's happening in the house, we attack one another and it never brings accomplishes what God wants to have in the family. Because when there's this, you know, when there when there's stuff happening in the family that's just constant, whatever it is, all those different things I listed or any other thing, then it affects the whole family and it just brings brings destruction to the family rather than the life that God wants to have. And so that becomes important. So let's, uh, let's come on up and we'll take communion together. And...